Well, have you noticed that the older that you get, the more that you realize the different ways that you are like your mother or your father, right? I know it can be sad sometimes, right? You, you start looking more and more like your dad or you look more and more like your mom and some of you are excited about that and some of you are very depressed by that, but you start realizing, yeah, I am my father's daughter or son or my mother's son or daughter. You know, you, you start to realize that and you see maybe some traits that they have that, 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 that you have. And so you start talking like them sometimes or you say some things they would say or you've got mannerisms that are like your, your mother or your father, maybe your, your spouse has some mannerisms or says some things like their mother or father. Now don't point those out, right? I'm not going to point those out about Darby, right? That's for our own safety, right? If you haven't figured that out by now, you need to, you need to figure that out. Like you don't, you don't point those things out in your spouse. You can admit them about yourself, but definitely don't point them out about your spouse. Our kids, Levi, my oldest, like He's more serious. He's more of a romantic like, like I am. Coben is a lot more fun and outgoing like his mother is. Nixon, our daughter, she's chill. She's easygoing like her mom. She loves sad movies like I do. Darby can't stand sad movies. She says, I don't want to put that kind of energy into this next hour and a half. Like, I don't want to do that. Like, Darby uh, doesn't have anything to do with it. She doesn't want to watch a sad movie. Nixon and I, we love sad movies. Nixon can roll her eyes at me just like her mom. Like, woo, girl, I've seen that look before, like a lot, a lot of times. And then one of the primary ways we've seen this, like these traits that are passed down in our family, one of the primary ways, one of the probably sweetest ways we've seen this is, especially when my boys were little, they would put their hands behind their back and kind of lock them together, just like their great granddad would. Darby's granddad, Papa, when he would stand anywhere, he would stand with his arms behind his back. And our boys, especially when they were little, they still do it, but especially when they were little, they would put their arms behind the back and stand there watching TV. We have a picture where Coben and Levi are standing in our living and watching TV and they both have their arms behind their back, standing there watching a show just like our Papa would. It's these, these traits that are passed down from one generation to the next because we're, because we're family. And so you're, you're the beneficiary, whether you like it or not sometimes, right, of certain traits that are passed down through your family. When you inherit something like that, the, these traits, it's not something that you work for, right? It's not like Nixon what, what was seeing me watching a sad movie and thought, I want to watch sad movies like my dad. There's no way that's happened. No, 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 she didn't work for that. It's just something that's in her, that there's, there's, there's traits, there's things that are passed down from one generation to the next that we're beneficiaries of because we're family. Well, Jesus is going to say this morning that there's some traits that you inherit as a believer that show that you're in the family of God and that you will inherit the kingdom of God. Like these traits reveal that you are and will be a beneficiary of the kingdom of God. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 18. We are in a verse by verse, chapter by chapter study of the gospel of Luke. And we're challenging you to not just study the gospel of Luke in here with us right now. And when I say study, I don't mean sit back and watch me like this is an event or a show or theater. I mean study like you've got your Bible open, you've got our app open, like you're engaged. That's what I mean. I'm challenging you to study with us right now the word 
of God. And then we're not just challenging you in here, but, but we're challenging you to be in a small group. We call them city groups where you're studying the scripture together with other followers of Jesus. We're going to study these same passages this next week. We want everyone in our church in a city group where they're studying the scripture together and they're praying with one another and they're encouraging people and people are encouraging them and they're there for people and people are there for them. It's the primary way that we care for each other here at our church is through those city groups. And then we're challenging you to study the gospel of Luke this week with your family. Your kids right now, our students are gonna cover these same passages this morning. And with the table talk, that's a Bible study resource under our app, under, uh, on our app under the Bible study tab, you can study the gospel of Luke and pray through these verses with your family. And we're gonna have daily devotionals this next week, Monday through Friday, covering these same verses. That's another resource under the Bible study tab on our app. We preach verse by verse, through books of the Bible here at the City Church because we just believe that preaching that way, studying the Bible that way is more effective at producing healthier, deeper, more effective, more faithful, more steadfast, more generous disciples of Jesus. We believe our marriages will be richer as a result of knowing the full counsel of the word of God. We, we believe our kids will grow up knowing what they believe and why they believe it as they know the full counsel of the word of God. And I've mentioned it before, but I want to remind you again that when you study the scripture verse by verse, you just talk about different things that you wouldn't talk about otherwise. You study things that you wouldn't study otherwise. That's just what, what happens. When, when we read books and devotionals that kind of pull scripture out of context, it always kind of ends up being more self-centered in its approach. But when you study the, the scripture verse by verse, chapter by chapter, here's what you're going to learn. That the story of the Bible is more about God and his glory and his story than it is about you and your story and your glory. That's what you're going to find. And so we study the scripture here verse by verse. And our hope here in studying the gospel of Luke is that you're going to get to know Jesus. Like not the left's version of Jesus, not the right's version of Jesus, but you're going to get to know the real Jesus, and Paul said in Philippians 3, getting to know Jesus. Man, there's nothing better. Nothing in this world, nothing this world has to offer can even hold a candle to getting to know Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want to know that. I, I, I want to experience that. So that's my hope, that's my prayer, is that we're getting to know Jesus and finding him so surpassingly greater than anything this world has to offer. Last week, we saw that Jesus said that the kingdom of God is in your midst and the kingdom is also coming when the Son of Man returns. So, so it's here today and it's coming with the Son of Man. So there's this already but not yet dynamic to the kingdom of God. And, and here's what we're gonna see today, that some people are going to inherit this kingdom and some won't. So who's the kingdom of God for and how do you know if you're going to be a beneficiary of the kingdom of God? How do you know if you're gonna inherit the kingdom of God? All right, Luke chapter 18, starting in verse one, we're gonna do things a little different today because we've got several passages that we're gonna hit and study and then move on to the next. We're not gonna read them all up front today. So Luke chapter 18, follow along in our app, the verses, the points, everything's there for you on our app as well as on screen. Chapter 18, verse one. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. This is funny to me, that, that, that the arrogance of this man, this judge in this story that Jesus says, he, he didn't care about God, he didn't care about people, he didn't care about nothing, he just cares about 
himself. He didn't care about God, didn't care about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute that I'm having with my enemy. Well, the judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, this is so, so funny to me. I don't fear God or, or care about people. Like, he's not hiding it. He just admits it. I don't care about God. I don't care about anybody else. I just care about myself. But listen to this. This woman, I love this, is driving me crazy. This woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant request. And then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the son of man returns, so, so here we're back into the context of last week at the end of Luke 17. But when the son of man returns, so when the, when the kingdom is fully realized, when the son of man returns, how many, watch this, how many will he find on the earth who have faith like this widow. This widow was the ultimate example of the oppressed person because she had no support. She had no protection from, from, from her husband or from other family members. The, the Bible often talks about orphans and widows and their distress, that, that orphans and, and widows were a people group that were marginalized and oppressed. And so there's always, and especially in Luke, we, we see this empathy towards orphans and widows because they have no support. There, there's no protection. But this widow, in spite of her lot, like in spite of her circumstances, she's got, she's got nothing. She's got no support, no protection. This woman, it says, is bothering this judge constantly. This is a Greek word that means her actions were causing him trouble. In fact, he says, she's wearing me out. And the Greek expression for wearing me out can also mean giving someone a black eye. He's like, man, she won't leave me alone. She just keeps punching me in the face like over and over and over again. You get the idea that this woman's like waiting for him when he leaves his house. Like, hey, judge, it's me again. Let's talk about my case. He goes to work. He leaves work or he leaves work for lunch. Hey, it's me again. Here I am. He goes back to work. Hey, it's me. Here I am again. What about my case? He's leaving to go home for the night. She's walking with him to his house. Like, it's me. Like, don't forget me. Like, begging him. She's wearing him out. And here's what's interesting. This widow continues to pursue justice over and over and over again, even when things, you got to catch this, continue to not go her way. Things don't go her way. She doesn't get the answer she's looking for. She just comes back. Things don't go her way. She doesn't get the answer she's looking for. She just keeps coming back over and over and over again, she doesn't give up when things don't go her way. She doesn't give up when she doesn't get the answer she's looking for. She doesn't give up when her timing isn't met. She doesn't give up. It's easy to be faithful when everything's going well. It's a completely different story to be faithful to God when things don't go your way over and over and over again.
Many times Christ tells his disciples that if they're faithful to him, they will suffer injustice. They will be persecuted. They'll be falsely accused. They'll be even slandered. In fact, many of the Jewish writers predicted great sufferings in the end times, like on, on account of which people would fall away from the truth. Even Paul would say to the Thessalonians that there will be a great rebellion before the time comes where the Son of Man returns. That there will be a period of suffering before the manifestation of the Son of of God. And so Jesus again here is warning his disciples like, even when things don't go your way, you don't get the answer you're looking for. When your timing doesn't work out the way you'd like it to, like, he's warning them, he's encouraging them, and even challenging them like, you must stay faithful, even when your lot, your circumstances don't change. See, at the foundation of this parable, there's this attitude about facing injustice as believers, about facing trial, suffering, persecution, pain. That, that's at the foundation here. That, that how do we respond as believers when the lot that we've received is not what we would expect or what we would hope. You see, this widow has every reason in the world as the faithful example in this story to say, God, I've been faithful. And I, I've lost everything. And I, I keep coming back and I keep coming back. Never getting the answer I'm looking for. Things never working out how I'd like them to work out. She had every reason, every excuse in the world to turn away and to quit coming back. And, and so at the, at the foundation here, there's this call for believers to not respond by striking back towards our adversary or our enemy in the moment, but to turn to God and rest in the promise that he has made to return and vindicate us. When the Son of Man returns, God will administer his justice, especially when Jesus comes and judges the earth. And this parable makes it clear that God will bring justice. He will execute vengeance upon his return. Now, we tend to shy away from the judgment of God, but because our God is a good and just judge, the very opposite of the judge in this story, make no mistake, this God of judgment is good and just. And that desire that you have and I have for ultimate justice in this world comes from the fact that we were made in the image of God and we desire justice in the same way that God desires justice. And God says, with the return of the Son of Man, justice is coming. And vengeance is the Lord's. And so as followers of Jesus, we, we don't react to or respond to suffering and persecution and injustice the way the world does. No, we respond with faithfulness to God, with, with pleading to God, with crying out to God day and night. And so when Jesus calls us to not give up, no matter our lot, in spite of hostility, trials, and suffering, we, we look to deliverance from God. We look for the consummation of the kingdom of God that we talked last week. And when we don't find it happening in the order and in the timing that we would like for it to, we keep coming back to the Lord. 
Jesus, with his question at the end, makes it clear that some will become disenchanted. Things won't go their way. They won't get the answer they're looking for and the timing that they're looking to receive it. And some will grow disenchanted and they will turn away. They will fall away. But this parable, Jesus is calling for enduring faith that's seen in our persistent praying without losing heart. It's enduring faith that is evidenced by persistent prayer. But, but that begs the question, what is this prayer for? What is this patience for? What is this persisting for? For our lot to change? For our circumstances to change? No, not in this parable. The prayer, the persistence, the patience is all about and is all focused on the return of the son. That's what we're crying out for. In spite of our lot, in spite of our circumstances, we are crying out to God and looking to Jesus for his return for justice and for our great reward. So here's, here's the first point. Here, here's the first trait of children of God who will inherit the kingdom of God. It's the faithful who inherit the kingdom of God. This is also called the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, that Real, the real kids, the genuine children of God, like the real disciples of Jesus, will keep on, keep on following Jesus. They will stumble, they might fall, but they will return to God. They will repent from sin over and over and over again, running after Jesus. Just like that song says, running to the Father over and over and over again. These are the true kids of God. And Jesus is making it clear that it's the real saints, like saints of God, children of God, they will persevere. They won't turn away. They won't fall away. They will persevere. It's why John said in 1 John, their going from us showed that they were never really one of us. It's not like they were one of us and then they turned away and were no longer one of us. No, John says they're going from us reveals that they were never really one of us to begin with. That's the perseverance of the saints that's in view here. It's the faithful that end up inheriting the kingdom of God. And when I think about faithfulness, I think about a family that comes here most weeks with a full grown special needs child. And I know that it's been difficult on them because I know they've walked out of a service once before and my father-in-law stopped them and spoke with them and said, hey, this is where you need to be. They have every reason in the world, every excuse in the world to not be here, to not show up. But they show up week after week with a very difficult lot that they've received. I think about Kayla Torres, who years ago suffered a great injustice. And for the last several years has experienced a lot of death in her family. And she continues to pursue the Lord. She continues to show up. I think about John and Sandy Gomez. Many weeks, Sandy is here and serving with significant pain in her back. And surgery after surgery has yet to fully relieve that. Some weeks, I give her a hug and you can tell just by 
that motion, it, it, it brings pain. No doubt she serves in our greeting team in pain many weeks. Every excuse to not show up, every reason not to come. But she keeps showing up because she loves serving God. That's, that's faithfulness. I think about single moms in our church who've been dealt a, a heavy hand, a difficult lot. And they keep showing up with smiles on their faces. That's, that's faithfulness. No matter my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. And so I keep on coming back and I keep on coming back and I keep running to the Father and I keep running to the Father. That's faithfulness. Let's keep going. Verse nine. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. So, so they were confident in their own works that they had not done the right, the, the bad things and they had done a lot of the good things. So they're confident in their own righteousness and their own merit and they look down on everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. Now, we, we've talked about this before, but just to remind you, tax collectors were like traders. They have bought and purchased a tax collector's license basically from the Roman government to tax their own people, the Jews, and they would charge more than they had to and they would pocket the difference. And so the Jews looked at these people as the scum of the earth, absolute traitors who would turn their backs on their own people for money. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like this tax collector over here, like that one. Like God, in case you didn't know, like this guy right here. Thank you, it's just, it's odd, right? Thank you that I'm not like that guy right there, okay? I fast twice a week and I give you a 10th of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jewish people considered it pious or holy or spiritual to thank God for their righteousness rather than taking credit for it. And so the, the first hearers of this story, of this parable, would not think of the Pharisee necessarily as, as both boastful or as arrogant as, as we might. That they, they might give him the benefit of the doubt of being grateful to God for his holiness. But this prayer actually is a distortion of some of the praise psalms which is what this man is, is praying. It's a distortion. And, and because when, when the Pharisee is done, his, his prayer is, is basically like, I thank you, God, that I am so great. Uh, God, you are so lucky that I am on your team because I didn't do all these bad things and I did do all of these right things. That, that's kind of the, the emphasis of this prayer, that God should be honored, that 
This faithful Pharisee is on his team. Five times in two verses, the Pharisee uses the first person singular pronoun, making himself the subject of this prayer. And so here's the problem. This Pharisee is assuming God should accept him or let him into heaven, if you will, because he, he didn't do these things and he did do all of these things. And so you, you might just think as you're reading it, like one of these guys is really righteous and really holy. And the other one is a terrible, wicked sinner. And therein lies the problem. Because Jesus, Jesus makes it both clear. Both of these guys are sinners. One goes home justified before God, but make no mistake, they are both sinners. Because the delusion of self-righteousness is possibly the worst sin of all because of the consequences. You don't realize how wicked and evil your sin is before God in your own self-righteousness. You have deluded and confused yourself into thinking that because you haven't done some bad things and you have done some good things that you're actually right with God and that God should accept you and that he should let you into his heaven because you're actually a good person. That is the most wicked and evil delusion and the most wicked and evil sin in the eyes of God. And so the difference here is that the tax collector knows he's a sinner. The, the tax collector's like, God, you shouldn't accept me. You shouldn't let me into heaven. I don't deserve it. My only hope is your mercy. My only hope is your grace. This tax collector is not pleading his own merit, his own life of works. He's saying, no, 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 no. I'm abandoning all hope in my merit or in my works before God. And I'm throwing myself on the mercy and grace of God because there's nothing I could ever do to be right with God. I can't do better. I can't try harder to be acceptable to God. All I can do is throw myself on the mercy and grace of God, abandoning all hope in my own merit and in my own works. You see, it's the humble that inherit the kingdom of God. It's, it's the humble that inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus says, I, I came for those who know they are sick and need a doctor, not for those who think they're righteous. Do, do, you, do you catch the delusion there? Jesus says, I didn't come for those who think they're righteous. They're not. They think they are, but they're not. They've delude, they're in some sort of delusion where they think that they're good enough to be right with God. I didn't come for those who think they're righteous. Jesus says, no, I came for those who know they are sick and need a doctor. Who, who, for those who know they are lost and, and need to be found. For those who are blind and know they, they've got it, they need to see. And know that they can't do it for themselves. Jesus says, I, ca I came for those who know they're sick. And, and so the, the, the humble person says, I'm sick, I'm lost. I can't see and I need a doctor to heal me. I need someone to do for me what I could never do for myself. Daryl Bach in his commentary on Luke said this about merit, your own works before God. Merit has a negative side. It can become a manipulative way to invoke a bargaining chip 
Rather than approach God on the basis of his mercy and grace, we approach him by appealing to our track record and subtly suggesting that he owes us a response. You ever been there before? God, I don't deserve this. Right, I mean, the, the, widow, the faithful widow, could, the persistent widow could have been right here, right? I, I, what have I done? I, I'm the victim, I'm the oppressed here. And God, I, I've, been, I've been faithful. I've been serving you. Like, like, why are you doing this to me? How could you allow this to happen to me? Don't you see me? Don't, don't, don't you love me? I think we've all been here before. Using maybe our own faithfulness or, or church attendance as some sort of bargaining chip with God, like trying to manipulate God like, like he owes us a response. Box says, no, the, the real danger of pride is that it blinds us to how we really stand before God. Your works don't save you. You will never be saved by your own merit, by doing better and trying harder. No, it's Jesus's works that save you. It's his righteous fulfillment of the law. It's his fulfilling the, the, the righteous requirements of the law. It, it's, it's his dying on that cross in your place for your sin, paying the fine that you and I owe to God for breaking his law. It's, it's his works that, that, that save us. That The gospel isn't you do. The gospel says it's done. It's finished. Shane and Shane wrote a new song called All Sufficient Merit. It's, it's amazing. And here are some of the words to that song. It says this, all sufficient merit shining like the sun. A fortune I inherit. There's that word. A fortune I inherit by no work I have done. My righteousness I forfeit. That's the tax collector. I've got no righteousness. I, I, I've got no merit before you, God. My righteousness, my merit, I forfeit at my Savior's cross where all sufficient merit did what I could not. It is done, it is finished, no more debt I owe, paid in full, all sufficient merit, now my own. I've got no merit before God. But Jesus is all sufficient Merit becomes mine by faith in Jesus. And I inherit the kingdom. When I think about the humble inheriting the kingdom of God, I think about Dusty Peters. If you've ever been around Dusty, man, it takes zero time at all to sense and to feel his just humble, humble spirit. A, a humility that's born of a total abandonment of his own merit, of his own righteousness. And a complete hope in the merit of Christ. That's humility. Let's keep going. Verse 15. One day, some parents brought their little children to Jesus so that he could touch and bless them. But when the disciples saw this, they, they scolded the parents for bothering him with these 
kids, and, and, and doesn't that sound like us sometimes, right? Like, I don't know about you, I, I love that we have babies and kids in our church, and, and sometimes we hear a screaming or a crying baby, like, like we need to be respectful of other people in the room, like, I, I get that, but like, I, I love it, like, it doesn't bother me, it doesn't distract me, I've got a loud voice, and I just talk even louder, right, when, when that's happening, but, but, I, but I love it, because we got, we got babies in our church, and that's, that's exciting, and, and, and it also speaks to this, like, problem in most churches where our children's ministries are always looking for volunteers, but there's no one to be found. That, that just didn't like, right? That, that just didn't sit right with this, right? Like there should be lines of us ready to take care of babies and kids because the scripture says one generation tells the next generation the marvelous works of God. Like we should all have a vision for our children's ministry, whether you got children in it or not. We should all be excited and care about what's happening in our kids' ministry, in our youth ministry. And we shouldn't be bothered by them. We should be excited that we've got some kids and babies here to disciple in the Lord. And so, so my, my prayer is that we, we all have a vision for kids' ministry and for the babies and the children in our church. Verse 16, then Jesus called for the children and, and said to the disciples, let, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. Watch this. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Disciples of Jesus have this faith that is Childlike. It's a simple faith. It's a confident trust in God. It's a dependence upon God, our, our heavenly Father. It's a trust. It's a, it's a dependence, like a like a little child has for their father or for their mother. But but there's a difference between childlike faith and childish faith. There's a big difference here. Like this passage isn't saying that Christians are to always have this childish faith by not studying the word of God, by remaining immature and being disconnected from the church. That, that's childish faith. No, childlike faith is a growing, maturing faith that remains amazed by the gospel and believes that God can do the impossible. I heard a Christian scholar, theologian, is a seminary professor, asked this question one time. What's the most, the deepest, what's the greatest theological truth you've ever studied? And here's what this Christian scholar and theologian said to that question. He said, the greatest theological truth, the, 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 the deepest theological truth I've ever studied is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He said, it doesn't get any better than that. He said, the gospel is better news each and every day. It never gets old. It's the greatest, it's the deepest theological truth that you could ever study and lay hold of. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, I remember exactly where I was in first grade at Trinity Christian School when my teacher, Mrs. Head, shared the gospel 
and I understood it for the very first time. I could go right back to that room right now to the exact spot where I realized as she was sharing the gospel that I was a sinner, that there was a fine to be paid for my sin and that to be saved from my sin and made right with God, to go to heaven when I die, to give my life to Jesus and trust in his payment of my, I, I remember where I was. I remember that moment I heard the gospel and understood it for the very first time and gave my life to Jesus. And man, that, that never gets old. And as I've walked with Jesus now for a little over 20 years, 25 years, the news has gotten better and better and better to me over the years. It never gets old. I heard a pastor say one time, even a first grader can understand Christ died so I know die. And man, that was me as a first grader. It's the simple that inherit the kingdom of God. Those with simple, childlike faith, trust, and dependence upon their heavenly father. You see, simple childlike faith. It's relating to God like a child does to their father or mother. I remember when my daughter Nixon was one, one and a half years old. And, 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 and you know, when you're putting a, a toddler to bed, you kind of lay with them and talk with them and whatever. And then you try to kind of slip out like a ninja as they fall asleep. You know what I'm talking Parents, most parents know what I'm talking about. Like you, you, you don't want them to wake up because then you kind of have to start the process all over again. And I, I, I remember those nights where I would put Nixon to bed and I would sing with her and pray with her and, and she would go to sleep and I would try to slip out. And if she, if she woke up with her one-year-old little voice and with her little bitty hands, she would wake up and she'd look at me and she'd say, dad, one more minute. And what am I going to do with that? You know, I mean, I was helpless, right? And so I would lay back down with her until she fell asleep. And, and then I'd try to, you know, like a ninja, like slip out without her, you know, waking up. And if she woke up, she, she all the time she woke up, she would wake up again, dad, one more, with her tiny little finger, tiny little, one more minute. She wanted me there because with me there, she felt safe. She felt loved. She knew she wasn't alone. Around that same time, we were walking at Pops and Jesus' house. That's our, my father, father and mother-in-law, that's Darby's parents. And we were walking out behind their house one day and she lifted up and put her hand up to hold, hold mine. And I ended up getting a picture of it because I never wanted to forget this moment where she lifted her hand up to hold my hand as we walked. That's the, the love, the, the, the trust, the dependence upon a father or a mother that, that a child has. And, and, and did you know that all throughout the scripture, we see this exact same picture? 
Like in, in Eden, God walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day and, and talks with them and, and, and walks with them. And, and then through the tabernacle and in the temple, God said, hey, we're going to build this tabernacle, this temple, so that I can be with you and you can be with me. I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And I'm going to be with you. My presence is going to be with you through this tabernacle, through this temple. And then Jesus comes on the scene and the angel said he shall be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. God, God with us. And then Jesus tells his disciples, hey guys, I'm listening, I'm leaving, I'm going. They're stressed about this. They're anxious about this. And Jesus said, no, no, you don't understand. If I go, it's better. Like it's better if I go, because if I go, then the Holy Spirit's going to come and indwell you and I'm going to be with you. You see, this has always been the heart of God, to be with his people and for his people to be with him. And what's interesting is that that phrase, God with us, has a picture behind it. And, and this picture of God with us in Greek carries the idea of holding someone's hand. Like, that that's always been the heart of God. It's to walk with you and for you to walk with him and for him to hold your hand through it all. That's the heart of God for you. To walk with you and for you to walk with him and to hold your hand through it all. It's the simple the simple childlike faith that, that, that inherits the kingdom of God. And when I think of simple childlike faith, I think of Marcus Johnson. And if you've been around Marcus Johnson for any length of time or, or ever prayed with him like, uh, like I have, like you, you just hear this simple childlike faith that believes and trusts in his heavenly father to do anything and everything, to do the impossible. Marcus has a simple childlike faith and it's so refreshing to be around. So it's the faithful. It's the humble. It's the simple. Then inherit the kingdom of God. But if that's the case, then, then who doesn't inherit the kingdom of God? Well, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says this, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't, don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. He said, don't, don't, don't confuse, like, don't get this confused. Like, you think just because you prayed a prayer like it was magic words or checked a card that, that, that makes you right with God and you can just go on living however you want because God's gracious? Paul says in Romans 3 that those who live like that, like, hey, I'm just gonna keep sinning because grace abounds. I'll just do whatever I want. I'll just keep on sinning. Paul says in Romans 3, then your condemnation is deserved. You aren't who you think you are because no child of God would ever think like that or act like that. It's your works that reveal who you really are. We're, we're saved by grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone, but 
but it's your life. It, it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a transformation that happens there when you give your life to Jesus and you're born again that gives you a hatred of sin and a love for holiness. And so Paul says, let's, let's, don't get this confused. If, if you're living like this, then you aren't who you think you are. Paul would say in Galatians chapter five, he says this, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties and other sins like these. Let, let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. They, they aren't children of God. In Ephesians chapter five, Paul would say, you can be sure no immoral, impure or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. And so we, we hear things like it's the, the faithful and the, the, the simple and the, the humble that inherit the kingdom of God and people who do these things don't inherit the, God, the, the kingdom of God. And so what some of us start doing is, say, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do my best to stop doing all of those things that Paul just talked about. And I'm gonna do better and try harder at being faithful, humble, and simple. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. You see, the big idea today is this, you inherit based on who you are, not what you do. The, the, the faithful, the, the humble, the, that, that simple childlike faith, we, we said those are traits that you inherit because you're a child of God. So the question is, are you a child of God? Have you given your life to Jesus? Because if you're a child, like you're in the family, then these traits will be true of you. You'll turn and run from your sin. And you'll pursue Jesus because you're a child of God. It's who you are because of whose you are. And what you do will, will flow from that. Jesus would say in Matthew 25 to, to his kids, to his sheep that listen to him, that know his voice, that follow him and listen to him. He says this, and the king will say to those on his right, those are the sheep, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom that's been prepared for you for the creation of the world. God has prepared a kingdom for you, child of God. He's prepared a kingdom for you and it's yours now already, but when Christ returns, we will see it and experience it in his fullness. And it's only the kids, it's only those who are in the family that inherit the kingdom of God, that are the beneficiaries of the kingdom of God. James, the brother of Jesus would say this in James chapter two, aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom of God? He promised to who? To those who love him, to his kids that love him, a child of God, loves God from their heart. And because of that love for God, because of who they are and whose they are, faithfulness just, it just flows out. Humility just flows out. Simple childlike faith, it's just an overflow. It just flows out of children of God. Would you pray with me? 
just heads bowed, eyes closed. I, I, I think there's some people here like the Pharisee thinking that you're good with God because of the things that you haven't done and the things that you have done or the things that you plan to do. And maybe you're thinking that because your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds one day that, that maybe that makes you right with God or you can go to heaven when you die because you've been basically a good person. I wanna challenge you to abandon all hope in your own merit and in your own works. That just like the tax collector, that you would understand and realize that you should not go to heaven. God should not accept you. but that you would be overwhelmed by the grace and mercy and love of our God who calls you to faith in his son, Jesus, who all sufficient merit by faith becomes yours. And so this morning I would challenge you like the tax collector, abandon all hope in your own good works, realizing that God shouldn't let you into heaven and trust in the finished work of Christ alone. And if that's you and you're ready to give your life to Jesus this morning, jump on our app, fill out our connect form and let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today. Others of us, maybe you're here this morning and, and we've been discouraged. We haven't gotten the answer that we've been looking for and the timing that we've been wanting it. And so maybe we've fallen away, we, we've turned away this morning. Would you come back? Would you run back to the Father? God, I, I pray this morning that your spirit would stir a persistent spirit in your kids, in your people this morning, that, that you would stir in up, uh, up in us a, a simple childlike faith that trusts in our great, our perfect heavenly father who loves us and wants what's best for us and knows that what's best for us is a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And so God, as we worship, as we sing, Holy Spirit, encourage, convict, challenge, but draw us into your presence. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we worship?